Attention sports fans, this Sunday at the Great Pit of Carcoon, it's bungee jumping time. That's right, it's five miles south of Java's Palace in the Great Dune Sea. It's bungee jumping at the Sarlacc Pit. That's right, Sunday only. Be a guest of Java the Hut at bungee jumping at the Sarlacc Pit. Bring the whole family, bring the kids, bring the dog, bring the dog-like thing, bring everybody. Come out and see bungee jumping at the Sarlacc Pit. Warning, small children, Jedi strides not admitted. Those with weak hearts and weak constitution should take medication before coming out. Please do not touch trouble while you're here. This is Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. I'm too busy defending the Republic. I am Nicholas, and I don't know to listen to the podcast. This is Alex Van D, and that was my son. And I wish he listened to the Order 66 podcast, but he's only three years old, so I guess I'm going to have to wait. D20 Radio, your gamers www.d20radio.com Execute Order 66 This episode of the Order 66 podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, GoDaddy.com and Buy.com, as well as a list very, very long of D20 contributors. This show is for you. Well, greetings, everybody. Today is Sunday, September number September 20th, 2009, and you're back for episode number 81 of the Order 66 podcast, brought to you by no one in particular except everybody we named off the top of the show, except, I need to say, I'm GM Dave, with me as always, GM Chris, tweet that goodness. What's going on, guys? What's up, Gamer Nation? Hey, people. Ah, it is it is a, a relaxing Sunday. It's early. We're we're casting early, man. I'm excited. Yeah. Heck yeah, me too, man. Oh, I can actually. Get that means I get to. That means I get to soak in a bathtub later tonight. Boom! Just like that. Boom! Boom! Well, for those of you who may be tuning in for the very first time. This is the Order 66 podcast, the only fan-generated podcast entirely devoted to the glory that is Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing. And uh, we've got a hell of a show lined up for you, yeah? Oh, I, yeah. Can't I, wait. I think so. Yes. Mm-hmm. Get your ships out and be ready again. What did you just say? I said get your ships out. Ship? Yes. Are, we Are you poker? sure you said ship? Yes, I did. Do we need a BBC warning here, Dave? Negative. That didn't sound like shit. Negatory, 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 negatory. No, no, no. No. Okay. I might say no, as a matter of fact. Although, Alrighty. I don't know. You know, it's been raining a lot. A lot? Yeah. I, have, I'm, I really need a, so- a soccer fix. We can talk about that later because I haven't been able to do anything soccer related for like two weeks. So you're supposed to fill it with gaming. Duh. 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 Like, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, Dave. I mean, seriously. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so we start with the news. Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisitions. 
Greetings, Gamer Nation. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. Ah, yes. Uh huh. What kind of news Dude, we got, man? It's been a it's been a busy week around the network. Yes, if, indeed. If, if I don't say so, it has been. It has been. Tell us about it. Well, first, Game On apparently um, is really coming on in the backstretch, right? With the podcast race, because oh, they came out with two episodes since our last podcast. Episode number twenty-eight uh, is uh, bringing us the uh, lovely Dusky Dulcids of Cat, talking about the glory of Gen Con, and then number twenty-nine just comes out. I think today, if I'm not mistaken. Ah, uh, yeah. And uh, talks about pirate games in honor like... <laughs> Arr, matey. That's right. It's, you know it, what Saturday was, right? It's it, it's right. It was in honor of Talk Like a Pirate Day. Yar! Yar! Har, yar! Har, har. <laughs> pirate Steve. Yar! Pirate Steve. And, of course, uh, I, I haven't listened to it yet. I can't wait. Um, Minnie's Mayhem uh, is back, amazingly enough. Brev and Tenny come at us with episode number 14, delving into uh, the ultimate mission book and uh, talking a little Batman, of all things strange. Um, but, yes, yes. And that's another cast I need to listen to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, did did City of Doors really say the national nightmare of Game On is over? Of no Game On is over? That's greatness. That is greatness. <laughs> Dude, but yeah, I haven't listened to the uh, last installment of Minnie's Mayhem. I need to. Such good Minnie's advice on there. If you guys are any are Star Wars miniatures fans or players or you're just interested to know more about it, it's it's a fun game, and Brev and Tenny are two freakishly knowledgeable people. So Freakishly. Get, you, get your learn on. Freakishly. So meanwhile, the Super Gaming Podcast has come in from the dark. Talking about the fun of playing... The Caped Crusader in RPG form. And this, my mm. friends, is a bit of a theme among other shows as well. Episode 22 is up right now. Yes, and continuing with that theme and the Batman glory, uh, the Minus World is back with their seventh episode, which I listened to on Thursday, actually, um, discussing the Dark Knight and all of his video gameness. And uh, as, as Dave mentions here... Um, there is, of course, this Batman theme. It's all part of this amazing contest that is in the works. The boys from Meanwhile, The Minus Word World, and Cinematic Attic have joined forces for a special Batman Arkham Asylum contest. Uh, if you guys haven't played the, the Batman Arkham Asylum video game yet, it is absolutely phenomenal. It's uh, been rated as one of the greatest superhero games ever made continuously, literally. like That's actually a Guinness record they were talking about on, uh, on The Minus World. And uh, you can win a free copy of it. Uh, listen to all three of the podcasts uh, that, that are about Batman and uh, collect clues. Be the first to post what phrases are uniquely Batman and win a free copy of the new Batman Arkham Asylum game. That's so, so cool. It's very cool. So to clarify, for each new show of the three podcasts, there will be a phrase, one phrase in each show that is something very, very, very batman can't miss it. Be the first poster to reply in the contest thread on the Cinematic Attic boards with all three correct phrases, and you'll win a copy of that video game. That's awesome. You know, now, and, I have and, noticed that, that we are missing a key component to this contest. Well, yes? and, it's, and, it's, and it's very apropos that you have to post on the Cinematic Attic board because you may be waiting a freaking month before that <laughs> thing comes out with an episode. So, you know, just hold. 
what, what, what I'm going to do is listen to the other two podcasts and get my phrases down. So when Cinematic Attic posts, I'll be there to post like that hour and get my free copy of Arkham Asylum. Right. I do that too. In the meantime, we wait and we hope. With bated breath. Yes. And if you don't want your breath to smell like bait, tune in later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so are we going to Little Rock? Um, I, I am not going to be able to, unfortunately. Um, but everyone else should go to Little Rock. Yes, everyone should. What's tell there, us why, man? Dave. Oh, I was going to tell you to tell us. but Oh, I can tell us. Um, well, uh, Little Rock Game Con uh, 2009 uh, is coming up very shortly, November 13th through the 15th at the Wyndham Hotel and Resort in North Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, Little Rock Game Con, uh, they have a very simple objective. They're going to host a three-day convention of gaming and overall geek entertainment. It will cover the gamut of gaming genres from video games to card games as well as comics, anime, and other great geekly pursuits. It is a family-friendly event aimed at gamers and run by gamers. Of course. And uh, we've, been, we've been in touch with these folks, Dave. And, um, Chewbacca's going to be there, man. Yeah. And Mrs. Chewbacca. And Mrs. Chewbacca, that's right. Uh, Peter Mayhew and his wife will be there as, as Star Wars guests of honor. And you can find out more about it at www.littlerockgamecon.com. If you live anywhere remotely in the South, it is not that far to go to Little Rock. And it is, looks like promises to be a fun convention. And it's very reasonably priced, too. I must say, like a weekend pass pre-registry, it's like 35 bucks. That's not bad. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. So now people are asking where it's located. If, is it near the Little Roll? But somebody else said it's on <clears throat> the other side of the river from the little hard place. Just, just to clarify, uh, in case y'all are trying to look for it. The little rock. Thank you, <laughs> thank you for that. Oh, boy. Echo that, Base. Thank, thank Echo Base. Thank yes. Echo Base for that. So, all right. So, TG, uh, as the real life correspondent to Order sixty six. <laughs> um, real life. I, yeah, I, I believe I believe that you found a really funny story for us. Yes, for a bit of juicy bits from real life you may recall last year uh y'all reported on the hilariously funny and somewhat kind of sad news item of an inebriated man attacking a parishioner of the jedi church in great britain while he was dressed as darth vader i remember that yes yeah Yeah, he drank like what was it four gallons of wine before he got drunk (laughs) wine on top of that box wine yeah yes yes Uh. well it seems the international church of Jediism is in the news again, this time possibly in court, as the religion's founder is accusing the supermarket giant Tesco of religious discrimination. Dude, <laughs> that's awesome. I, I wish I were in the UK. Maybe old school I, can tell us what this is about. Okay, so here's the story. Basically, okay. Daniel Jones, who's the founder of the, of the Jedi religion, was uh, grabbing some grub on his lunch break when three... Three, I don't know why three, but three Tesco employees appeared and made him take off his Jedi hood while he was in the store. His what? He claimed, yeah, he, he wears a Jedi robe and he had his hood up. Oh, right? okay, okay, yeah, I got you. Yeah, so he claimed his religious right to wear the hood in public, and Tesco pretty much said, we don't care, it's against the store policy. Jones is considering a boycott of the store, and he's seeking legal advice. But this is what's so beautiful about this thing is that Tesco fired back, but not with their, you know, not with a typical corporate glib, non non comment or soft, safe rebuke or whatever, but they 
came back with some Star Wars lore of their own. This is just genius. Oh, beautiful. So in response to the incident, Tesco hasn't backed down, saying that Jones hasn't been banned. Jedis are welcome to shop in our stores, though we would ask them to remove their hoods. Obi-Wan Kenobi, Yoda, and Luke Skywalker all appeared hoodless without ever going over to the dark side, and we are only aware of the Emperor as one who never removed his hood. If Jedi walk around our stores with their hoods on, they'll miss lots of special offers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is too great. it's It's so beautiful. It's wonderful. I love... I love the British people. Oh, my gosh. Their humor is just wonderful. I know. You know, the funny thing is I I read about this guy, and and thank you very much, by the way, to Luke Lobrow, Dan, who sent this in um, to us. And we'll get to to his submission, actually, in a little bit. But the guy's name, he has a Jedi name. Did you read that? No. Morta Hehol, (laughs) H-E-H-O-L. Morta Hehol? Morta Hehol, or Hehol, or... Hellhole or <laughs> hellhole, I don't know, but yeah, <sighs> Morda there, uh, yeah, you know, and uh, I'll tell you what, that's just that's just really funny. I, yeah, and the fact Who that they knew, knew that, that real Lord, life could be so uh, juicy and hilarious. That's yeah. just wonderful. Farking great, I love it. I know. So speaking of Luke Lowbrow, here we go. This is the Hullinet News Network. I'm Luke Lowbrow. Today the galaxy mourns the loss of one of its most prolific and influential composers, Figrin Dan of the band called The Modal Nodes. Figrin was found in his penthouse suite of his Moss Eisley Hotel, dead and in the nude. Tatooine authorities have ruled that his death was a drug-induced suicide, which ended in asphyxiation in his own vomit. The toxicology report indicated that his system was soaked with 11 variants of spice drugs, toxic levels of alcohol, and mind-boggling quantities of pixie sticks candy. The family has requested a second autopsy report because of reports that Figurin Dan had also sustained 27 knife punctures, 14 blaster wounds, and burns from four grenades that were detonated at the scene. The Tatooine Police Authority believes that evidence is purely circumstantial. They maintain that those attacks probably happened after the actual time of death. Crime scene investigators hold that those attacks were probably committed by Figrin's many creditors or passerby hotel patrons who were just fed up with all the noise created by his constant partying. Figrin was a child prodigy and had already become a professional musician by the age of three. When he went on tour through the core worlds with his domineering, tyrannical, and possessive father, Johann Leopold Mozart Dan, and his horrifyingly ugly sister Mumu. Figrin had achieved commercial success as a teenage heartthrob idol, where he, David Cassidy, and Justin Timberlake were the biggest coverboy pop stars for Nexu Tiger Beat magazine in the last 30 years. Fame was not kind to Figrin as he spent years of his life battling substance abuse and desperately trying to recapture the success of his youth. At one time as a publicity stunt, Figrin bit the head off a womp rat in front of hundreds of horrified concert goers. A young human who was at the concert and was interviewed after the show remarked that he could have bullseyed that womp rat in his T-16 back home. It was in a shabby little Tatooine cantina where Figrin Dan and his latest band, The Modal Nodes, rewrote music history with their breakthrough hit song, Mad About Me. His one-time friend and musical rival, Max Rebo, was interviewed earlier today. 
Everyone remembers where they were and what they were doing when they first heard that magical tune. Figrin Dan made lounge music an art form. When you played a crappy, gin-soaked dive, the patrons actually wanted us to play good music for once. I hated Figrin as a person, but I loved him as an artist. And that doesn't mean I loved him in the gay way either, don't misquote me. Despite the modal nodes, meteoric rise to the top, Figrin's unyielding perfectionism, excessive gambling, drug binges, and numerous liaisons with unsavory women led to the band falling apart. Figrin Dan had recently reunited the modal nodes after his disastrous solo career. Figrin Dan is survived by his wife Nancy, three children, 47 mistresses, and 23 out-of-wedlock children. This has been a Holonet News Network update. I'm Luke Lowbrow. Good night, and good riddance. Again, genius coming from... Wow. He's got a lot of child support there, doesn't he? (laughs) Not anymore. (laughs) Nope. That was great. Thank you, Dan. Yes, indeed. Good job. Yep, that was really, really well done. They, uh, You know, he's sounding his stride. Just like everything else, user submissions get better over time. Mm -hmm. And... I'll tell you what, I didn't think there was a whole lot of room for improvement after that first one. But, man. Wookie Lederhosen. <laughs> I thought about that one. <laughs> I saw somebody in, um, it was Oktoberfest. Did you see Oktoberfest was going on at the park? Okay, sidebar. Yeah. Oktoberfest was going on over in Fort Worth. And yeah. I saw guys dressed in Lederhosen, and that was the first thing that came to mind was Wookiees. <laughs> yeah, Wookie Lederhosen. Yeah, so anyway, that uh, that was great. So anyway, here we go. D20 docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. All right, so D20 Docking Bay, where we answer your questions submitted by forum post, by telephone, or by email. You can reach us at d20radio.com slash forum. Email us at gmdave at d20radio.com. gmchris at d20radio.com. Twitter at goodness at d20radio.com. <sighs> okay, I ran out of breath or, almost. Or, 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 or. Call us at the loser line. What's that number? 206-605-872-LUSA. Lusa! Yeah! Ah, yes, and you too can be a Lusa and leave no question. That's right. So, we kick off today's Docking Bay with Darth Pseudonym. Great name. I wonder if he goes by anything else. <laughs> so, he's been wondering about aid another checks. If, you, if you're trying to aid another, aid a check that's a trained-only use of a skill... Do you have to be trained to assist? On page 151 of the core rulebook, it says you can help another character by making the same kind of skill or ability check. So when aiding another on a surgery check, does that mean roll a generic treat injury check, or does it mean roll a surgery check? The former would allow anyone to assist, while the latter limits it to those trained in treat injury. Also, on page 61, it talks about using a different related skill to provide aid, say knowledge of life sciences, to help with treat injury on an unusual alien. But it makes no statement on trained versus untrained. What about mechanics? 
which is the which is the one and only trained only skill. What would you would you allow an untrained person to roll mechanics to aid, or require them to come up with some other skill to help out? As per page sixty one. Wow, good good question, Darth. Um, yeah. As for the first part of it, uh, do you need to be trained to aid another? No. Okay, dude, not at all. Uh, it doesn't say so in the text. Don't put a restraint there when it's not meant to be. Yep. Even when even when aiding a trained application of the skill, the surgery example you give is a great one. Um, it, it's not required. Um, in, in his same original post, he goes on to make the analogy of a surgical assistant. Okay, who honestly, a surgical assistant, like a nurse or somebody, is most likely not a trained surgeon. That's the reason you have a surgeon. The surgeon needs the assistant to, you know, put pressure here or scalpel, <laughs> you know, syringe. Okay, uh, easy peasy. Not not trained applications by any stretch of the imagination. Now, as for the question to mechanics, which there's been some issues with in the past, the errata goes so far as to really, do, really, really clarify this. Now, remember, younglings, always check your errata. Simply, the errata adds a wonderful wording to page uh, 69 and 70 for the mechanics skill. Um, under the special header at the bottom of the skill, add the following sentence, quote unquote, characters who are untrained in the mechanics skill can still use the aid and other action to assist on mechanics checks. There you go. Bingo! Uh, boom. Now, frankly, dude, I, I encourage you to be liberal with what skills can be used to aid. You talk about using different skills to aid. I, I think it's great. And furthermore, I think it makes sense, okay? A perception check to aid a survival check to track an enemy. Hells yes. A knowledge bureaucracy check to aid a gather information check inside of the Galactic Senate halls. Hells yes. Um, life sciences for treat injury. You know, the list goes on and on. I think you should be as, as creative as you possibly can. I mean, do you guys think there should be any reason to, to limit the ability to aid another? I, I think that's part of good good gaming and skill choice, yes? No, yeah, I would do the same thing. I would absolutely. I'm sorry. Go ahead, TG. No, I, I think it makes perfect sense. Would you still say, okay, you have to only meet a 10, you know, beat a 10, and they get the plus two bonus on their check? Uh, I would st kind of stick by the rules. The, the rules say like the GM has the ability to provide favorable or unfavorable circumstances to the check, depending. So, f uh, I don't know. I, I say be liberal, but by the same token, there's things that just flat out wouldn't work. If you want to use a knowledge technology check to help me um, aid a gather information check in a primitive society, no, there's no bounds for that at all. Um, if you want to use it to help me aid a gather information check on a strange computer network, well, that makes total sense. But if you think it's just kind of on the cusp or, or like not just, just a little bit out there in the fringes, you know what? Either give the primary DC uh, a plus two with, with for unfavorable circumstances, or perhaps instead of a meeting a 10, make it meet a 12. In other words, give the aiding character unfavorable circumstances. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I, I think that's reasonable. If, if you, I mean, I think you should strive to allow it if it makes sense. But if it's kind of like, oh, I might allow this, I might not. Hey, allow it. Just make it unfavorable circumstances. Very good information. Okay, so Cyril wants to know this. Has it been clarified anywhere if the officer's share talent ability also includes the new talent trees from the supplemental books? It seems like kind of a wasted ability if it hasn't been, since you could now go the entire 10 levels without taking any talents from the, tr from the three trees called out in the ability in the core rulebook, despite the fact that I needed to get it into the class, of course. Sex in advance. Cyril. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, well, first of all, in short, Cyril, no. It has not been clarified anywhere. Honestly, dude, I don't know that it needs it. 
Um, per, per the officer's share talent ability, which for those following along and your picture books at home, is page 222 of the core rulebook, uh, you can pick a talent from any of four talent trees. Not three, but four talent trees. The influence talent tree, the inspiration talent tree, the commando talent tree, or the military tactics talent tree, which is actually part of the prestige class. Um, as a standard action, once a day, you can share that talent with one or more allies. Awesome. Okay, the, the thing that comes to my mind immediately is, is like Indomitable. You know, Indomitable is the talent that once a day you can just, boom, move to the top of the condition track, right? Having the ability to share that talent if you have it with every ally is fantastic. Um, so cool. Well, Cyril, we're, we're talking about a choice that you have from 25 talents, which is what you've got in those four talent trees. I wouldn't call that ability useless by any stretch of the imagination. Um, if the only justification of that it being useless is that you, you could now with all the supplemental books you can get to the officer prestige class without having to take any of those talents at all except for obviously the one you need to get in the class well yeah okay that's true but as you advance in the prestige class you'll be continually gaining talents that you can use and honestly if you build your character in such a way well, you know man hey tough breaks <laughs> too bad you should have thought better than that if it bugs you that much I, I seriously imagine that any GM worth his salt would genuinely consider adding a talent tree to that list if it fit. So if you have something in mind, I would say go to your, go to your GM with it. Yeah. I don't know. Thoughts? Guys, what do you think? I, I wasn't listening. I was paying attention to Echo Bay. <laughs> so was I, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> going you see it too, Dave? <laughs> yeah, that we're in this, that they're, they're taking bets on how long the sex in advance thing is going to, you know, from, from two shows ago. Is going to well, last. No, but the the actual question was, how long do y'all think sex in advance will last? Cat <laughs> responds, I think that's a little personal question. Somebody, Jedi Hermit, puts three to five seconds. <laughs> yeah, and then somebody somebody else says, <laughs> someone that, says twenty minutes. <laughs> that we're in the we're in the sex in advance honeymoon period <laughs> right now, and that's just, I'm just that's just really funny. I uh, I thought it was I thought it was pretty funny. So yeah, exactly. Had to give. Uh, yeah. Credits to Echo Base there. <laughs> definite, definite secondhand stream going on. Yeah, good job. So yeah, okay. So yeah, back to the original question. Um, oh, okay. I guess, I, I guess y'all agree with my answer then. That that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> if, yeah, I mean, you're the one that gets to choose what talents you're taking. So you know, it's not if it's useless by your standard, it may not be useless by somebody else's standard. So. If you, if you put yourself in that position, guess what? You put yourself in that position. Yeah, I mean, yeah, ultimately you build your character the way you want to, and and um, I, I don't, here again, I also don't think, you know, I don't think you're, you're going to have a hard time, like, you know, like you said, I don't think you're going to have a, have a hard time talking to GM into potentially bending a rule or two if it makes sense. I agree. Yeah. Okay, so Strider has this question. Um, he has a quick question for the nation of Awesome Sauce. Uh, not, that is not an authorized nickname. That is not an authorized name. That is going to stop immediately. If my martial artist has Terras Kazi Mastery, which lets me do a full round attack as a standard action, and he also has running attack, would I then be allowed to move, hit one target, move, hit another, and move again? As long as all my movement was no more than my speed. Ah, see? Cheater. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I, I see where he's going with this. Um, how would he have two... How would he be able to attack more than once in a round? 
Well, several ways. Um, dual weapon fighting, uh, double attack, triple attack. Um, uh, you know, any anytime you could have multiple attacks in a round. The, but let's. You, but you, you, your question is at the heart of. Let, let, let's let's back up a bit, TJ, and let's let's take a deeper look at what Strider's asking by looking at each constituent piece. Now, first of all, the Terrazkasi Mastery Talent, which is part of the Master of Terrazkasi Talent Tree, available to elite troopers. Page fifty-three, Threats of the Galaxy, is a, a rather coded and awesome sauce talent um, available to to elite troopers. Um, again. It is, it is a second-tier talent. So, first and foremost, you're not going to be able to even get it until at least 10th level yeah. if you spec your character properly. Okay? What it does is it lets you take a full-round attack action as only a standard action, as long as you are only making unarmed attacks. Now, remember, boys and girls, anytime you make more than one attack in a round through dual weapon fighting, through the double attack feat or the triple attack feat, it does take a full round action every time, all the time, unless the rules say otherwise for something like this. And this is a very, very, very cool ability. So let's say you've got triple attack and dual weapon mastery, where you can actually theoretically make four attacks in a round at a massive penalty. You know, you could, with Terrascasi mastery, actually run up to the guy and then try and smack him four times. And that's yeah. perfectly legal. Okay, wait. Dual weapon mastery, though, but he's melee. Yes. We, still unarmed, I, yeah. Uh, uh, it doesn't have, dual weapon mastery does not have to be ranged. You can have a sword in each hand. You can have a lightsaber in each hand. You could have your fists in each hand. Okay. Makes okay. sense? Okay. Yeah. So there you go. So yeah. now, running attack, which I know you're, you're both familiar with. Um, in my opinion, it's one of the better feats in the game. Found on page 88 of the core rulebook. Lets you, quote-unquote, move both before and after your attack, provided the total distance moved isn't greater than your base speed. Uh, there's a key word there. There, there is. So this is a great feat. Now, coming to, to the keyword Dave mentions, to answer your question, Strider, I think there's a couple ways to look at this. First of all, Dave, as, as Dave brings up, running attack doesn't say that you can move before and after a standard action. It says you can move before and after an attack. <laughs> okay. Now, this can be interpreted actually in wildly different ways. You could say that, you know what, if you have triple attack and dual open mastery, you're making four attacks, and thus the wording would actually let you move before and after each attack, as long as you don't exceed your base. As long as you don't exceed your base speed, it could also be interpreted that you can't make multiple attacks at all with running attack. You move, make an attack, singular, and then move. In fact, the only thing the rules don't seem to concretely and strangely support is moving taking the full attack as a standard action via Terrascasi Mastery, and then moving again. If we're going to go strictly raw, rules is written. Okay, fine and good. So what? What is the intent here? Uh, the, the RAI, the rules is intended, as I see it, would actually be to do what the raw says you can't, to do just that. The Terrascasi talent tree did not exist when the core rules were written, and the core rulebook didn't have any rules in it to allow multiple attacks to be made as a single standard action. So it makes sense the feat wouldn't account for that contingency. So frankly, the way I think it's intended, and in my games, what would be the rule, um, the attack in... Uh, uh, in running attack, simply implies your standard action attack. Therefore, you could move, go whap, 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 and then move again. Um, that's how I'd run it. But honestly, as uh, guys, as a rule of cool, if on the fly you asked me if you could use this combo to mow down like four stormtroopers standing in a row to like move a square, attack, move a square, attack, move a square, attack, 
I'd totally let you do that. That's so cinematically cool. Um, so rule of cool, I'd probably let you do it on the fly. But but as a standard uh, recommendation, I anyway, th- that's how I think it should be run. I'd probably. What do you go guys ahead. think? I, 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 there's 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 different interpretations here, and it really comes down to to your your interpretation of it. Uh, my first what, what my think? first thought: if you, if you go try and mow down a row of stormtroopers, I'm going to give attack of opportunity to all the stormtroopers. Of course, that's you where know? the balancing factor would. Come. Yeah, and that's you know, uh, that's only if I allowed it in the first place. I just I don't know. I don't like it. I think that's bending I, the rules yeah. a little too much. Keep in mind, you're you're at, at least tenth level to pull this off. Yeah. Okay, so you're Bobby Badass. Well, yeah, yeah. TG, what do you, what do you think? I think um, I I can see how it would work that way, where you just mow down a line of baddies. But the way that I would initially interpret it, without even thinking about it, is that I can run, make my attack, make my standard action, even if I had say the feat that allows me to do persuasion as a standard action instead of a full round action, I would be able to run, make my persuasion check, and then run. Right? It it would, in my mind, that's how it would operate. It would operate the same way. So it's the standard action. So you're leaning for the standard action route. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I can understand how it would work the other way. Right. I can see it working the other way. So if, if you yeah. have two attacks, if you have double attack, can you do like um, power attack on both attacks? Absolutely. Per the, per the rules as written, absolutely. So there's no real rule that tells you you can't use a feat multiple times when you have the availability of it. So Yeah, I, I mean, unless it, unless it says... But power attack, you're applying it to a specific attack role. Right. So if you're making multiple attack rolls in a round, then it just, right. you, know, you can apply to one or two or three or one and not this one and then the other yeah. one and, you know, you can take, do it how you'd like. I don't know. Maybe this isn't as munchkinism as I thought. I, I think... I, it could be, but I think that martial arts has the tendency to go that way anyway, especially if you guys have seen any of the new martial arts stuff in the <laughs> in the Rebellion Era campaign guide. Holy schmoly. Or um, Galaxy of War. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy stuff right there. Um, balanced, of course, by the fact that you're not doing terribly a whole lot of damage. You know, I mean, a, a, a third-level Wookiee with a Vibroaxe is equaling you in damage. But um, yeah. no, wait a second. Okay, wait a second. Is 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 the Wookiee is the is the Wookiee Tarascazi or the Wookiee? Thing. Is that oh, in Galaxy at War? Rush, Rushi, yes, that is Galaxy at War. Yeah, yes. that's right. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's a Wookie, the Wookie martial, martial arts. arts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 good stuff, and we'll we'll be talking about it soon. But um, yeah, so the bottom line, Strider, is there's no really official 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 ruling on this, and if you're going to go by rules as written, I think it could be interpreted multiple ways. Um, I don't think either way is going to break your game. So have fun with it. <laughs> yeah. This is Watto for Watto's Bargain Basement, and I want you to come on down to Tatooine this week for our big special sale. Tell them Java sent you and you get a free chance cube. We got the deals for you. Come on down to Watto's Bargain Basement. What do you know? So there you are. Watto's, it's back. Watto's is Ow. back, dude. I, I made it. I made a trip out to Tatooine. T, TG was actually a, kind of pissed off at me because I 
you went this out. Was there, supposed, huh? This was supposed to be our weekend to sit and just be with each other, and he takes off to freaking. Dude, he texted well, no. me. I haven't talked to Wado in a while. Well, from what I understand, when, though, when you get a text that says, "Hey, Chris, come out to Tatooine. I got the beers and the Twi'leks and the dancing girls. How can you? What? How, how can you? What? 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 How can you avoid an invitation? Twi'leks. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, really? Hold on, TG. Other you than know, your if, wife, if you're, if I. You, if Dude. you're getting all upset, you know, the the yeah. initial genesis of the phone call was that uh, we were supposed to have a check-in from Tatooine for Cody, and but he never checked in. So Chris was calling his contact originally, Watto, to try and that's see true. if, you know, what was going on. But That's we, exactly that's exactly what happened. It all started out, honey. Oh, that's total B. Look at Dave trying to cover for you. Hey, thanks, bro. Really appreciate it. Yeah, dude. You know why didn't we hear from Cody? By the way, honestly, um, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I went out of my mailbox and there was nothing there. Maybe he's on extended assignment. I, I really don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we'll hear maybe from him he next week. Maybe got distracted by dancing Twi'leks. Maybe he's dead. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. We are uh, back with Wado's Bargain Basement Gamer Nation. Of course, that where we take the chance to take a look at what Wado has given us uh, an amazing new piece of joy that can enlighten and enhearten your games and dave i brought something pretty cool back from tattooing this week what did you bring us how cool I, was it how cool was it um tg you even thought this was pretty cool yeah yeah until uh, i found out about the twilight girls oh, oh. focus woman focus <laughs> he brought a sack <laughs> kind of i brought back a cryogenic pouch right now, before she kicked you in your sack no, she kicked me in my cryogenic pouch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, the way things are going now, is going to remain cryogenic for quite some time. I, I um, think so. On the couch, for that on, matter. On the oh, couch, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, Gamer Nation. The Rebellion Era Campaign Guide is out. And if you have not picked it up, you are doing yourself and your gaming group a disservice for many reasons. One of which is the epic hardware chapter providing a host of cool new toys. And the cryogenic pouch is one of them. Basically, it's the poor man's answer to a field medic, and in some cases, it's actually better than a field medic, and we'll talk about why. Why? So, t- t- okay, first of all, this little thing, it, it, it weighs only one and a half kilos, okay, and it'll, it'll cost you a robust but very well worth its 600 credits. Ah, uh, that's not that much. For what yeah, it does, no. Um, and and uh, it, it's designed to be worn on a belt and used in combat situations. It can be deployed as a full round action, and it actually expands to create a large pouch around a creature, sealing the creature and stabilizing them in a cryogenic compound that literally holds them in suspended animation. Freeze! Boom. That's what it does. Instantly, it will stabilize a dying creature. And oh. it can be used to stabilize a dead creature. That is correct, past tense. If a creature is killed by radiation, poison, or damage surpassing its damage threshold, as long as you activate this thing within one die three rounds of death, you will stabilize the target and they will remain at zero hit points and minus five steps on the condition track while in suspended animation. Holy cow, GM Chris, this is awesome. Wow. <laughs> Thank D- you uh, for that. 1d3? 1d3 rounds. You're, you know, you're not sure how, how bad that person is. So basically, worst case scenario, if you can get to this one round after they've died, you can, you can save them, which is pretty much the same as a really freaking high treat injury check um, from a very skilled medic. Best case well, scenario, three rounds after death. I, 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 don't, I don't have a d3 dice. Die. Take a d6, <laughs> roll it. 
If the result is a four, five, or a six, divide by two, and you've got your answer. Well, that's, the five doesn't divide by two. Round down. Round down. Okay. Uh, no, four, round up. Round up. Four, four <laughs> equals, oh my God, four equals one, five equals two, and six equals three. Does that make sense? Okay. <laughs> okay. It's, it's, it's very, yes. Okay. There you go. So you need to divide by three, not divide by two. <laughs> so can I Thank take you. a D12? I don't know anymore. I'm can so I take a D12 okay. and duplicate it like four times? I'll kill you right now. <laughs> okay. Get a math correct d12 when you do it uh, yeah okay all right all right now the, okay so anyway. so so the, so the cryogenic pouch very cool it it within it within its little little unit it carries enough power to suspend the life of a single creature for 24 hours but you can hook it up to a larger power supply with a simple mechanics check and basically maintain them indefinitely um it is designed for combat and it's actually kind of rugged it has dr5 However, it is basically a plastic bag filled with freezing agents. So a single point of damage, if it happens to get through that DR5, will puncture it and render it useless. Um, this is a really cool thing, guys. I mean, good grief. I mean, the, the ability Can to... you only use it once? Yes. <laughs> it a one. Oh, it's oh. only one use item? So it's, you can't like keep it and restabilize? Nope. Nope. But but you that have saved but you have saved the life of a fallen foe for six hundred credit fallen friend for six hundred credits that is awesome. I, I mean, charge them twelve hundred for doing it when they woke up. I'm sure they would pay it. They would be so pleased and happy. I bet. Uh, but I mean, think of the uses for this. I mean, aside from a team, just you know, I mean, even if you have an experienced medic, every soldier in your party should carry this, just because if you have someone go down in front of you and the medic can't get to them in time, this can save their lives. Imagine, imagine a bounty hunter who uses this to stun out a victim and then just put him in a cryogenic sack so they're permanently in stasis and transport them to their intended location. That's awesome, man. Think of all the ways you can screw up the GM's story when they want a player or a character or an NPC to die, and instead you cryogenically freeze it. That's awesome right there. Boom. That's great. Boom. Or, an, or, an, or an NPC. Oh, you killed Darth Voldemort. You know? Oh, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. <laughs> He's alive. We didn't mean to. Rock falls, punctures the bag. Re oh. <laughs> See? <laughs> <laughs> you get mugged by a street thug. Well, I have another one. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> anyway, this is a very cool toy and um, a, a really neat piece of equipment. And it's in the Rebellion Era campaign guide, which you should get you hosers if you have not already yes all right we're gonna stop down for fragments from the rim alex and trevor and we'll be back in a few minutes welcome jedi masters to fragments from the rim how may we be of service to you today hi this is alex and trevor this is segment number 29 of fragments from the rim for this segment i've chosen to continue to talk about talents that can be chosen by Sith Lords, Force Disciples, and Jedi Masters. This one you're going to find inside your Clone Wars campaign guide on page 56. This is part of the Bando Gora Captain Talent Tree. It's entitled Resist Enervation. Whenever an effect would move you down the condition track, you can spend a force point to negate that movement down the condition track. That is awesome. The condition track, especially at higher levels, is a really effective way of pushing someone out of combat, really weakening someone. And if all you have to do is spend a force point as a reaction to negate any movement, imagine that a character built around the condition track, let's say they've got the gunslinger talents and the bounty hunter talent and all the talents and their weapon is set to stun and they can push you down the, the condition track five steps in one shot. This talent prevents that, and that is great. 
Over to you, Trevor. Today, I'm going to talk about the Jedi Artisan talent tree on page 19 of your Jedi Academy training manual. The first talent that you would need in order for this tree to be effective is the Masterwork Lightsaber. Whenever you build a lightsaber, you do so with such expertise that it makes the weapon even more refined and elegant. When you build a lightsaber, you can choose to add one extra accessory to the lightsaber at the time of creation. In addition, you can mentor another character when they construct a lightsaber and take the DC down by five. Now, the two talents that come from this that are really, really nice are the lightsaber specialist, which is whenever you are armed with a lightsaber that you built, you gain a plus two morale bonus on the use of force checks made to use block and deflect. Now, that's really nice because if you couple that with a whole bunch of other talents that work around block and deflect, you could really bump your block and deflect up. And every successive use is at minus five. Well, with all these other talents, you can make those minus fives almost negligible. The other talent that's really nice is perfect attunement. Whenever you spend a force point to add to a lightsaber attack roll made with a lightsaber that you built, you can add that same amount of damage to the attack. That is really, really nice because that means that when you roll those one or two or three dice in order to determine uh, the, da- the hit, you're doing that to the damage as well. And that, that is really nice. So it sounds wimpy being the Jedi Artisan Talent Tree, but it's got a lot of, lot of crunch to it. Anyways, if you have any questions or comments, please uh, send Alex or I an email at order66 underscore fragments at rogers.com. And until next time, have fun gaming. Thank you, Masters, for visiting Fragments from the Rim. All right, so I I hear that we have our ship together. We do, but before we start with this, I have to make an apology and a restatement. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, um... I just realized that when we were doing Wadas, um, I kept talking saying about Rebell- Galaxy at I, War. Yeah, I know. I, I kept saying Rebellion Era Campaign Guide, and what I actually meant to say every time I said Rebellion Era Campaign Guide was Galaxy at War. Yeah, um, I know. Which that's yeah. why I was trying to bring you back on uh, when I was talking about the Wookiee being in Galaxy at War, but you know, I'm oblivious. What can I say? Yeah. Anyway, it's all right. All right. You were so, distracted by dancing Twi'leks, apparently. Oh, oh my God! See, it's just not gonna oh go my God. away. What? What? I didn't spend more than like forty credits. Come on! In advance. What? She was cheap. <laughs> <laughs> the couch is calling your name so hardcore tonight. <laughs> oh, all right. You're on yes, the you're it, on the ship list then. In other words. Boom! Thank you for the Wait, back, back on trackness. Did you say ship or did you say something else? Ship. S H I P. P is in Paul. P is in Paul. Peter. I Pan. swear I'm hearing something else. Panera. Maybe we need the BBC warning. Panini. Panini. Pogo. <laughs> okay. Hmm. All right, guys. Well, uh, thank you, Dave, for the good segue. We we do have our ship together this evening. So okay, okay, gamer nation. Tonight's topic has come to the forefront of our minds for several reasons. First of all, Jedi Counseling 115 came out last week, sparking some great debate about starship building and design, and from what I've seen, sparking a real interest on the intertubes in terms of starship battles and campaigns. Second, Twi'lek Goodness here has been developing her own and very first Saga Edition game, which we'll probably run the first session of sometime in the next two two to three years. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's about right. Nice. 
And as a, a lover of starships, she wanted a heavy focus on ship combat. And this has led all of us in our regular game group that are going to be playing to sort of rack our brains about the best way to do this. And lastly, a thread started on our own forums last month by a longtime listener, Asa TJ, uh, which brought about quite a bit of discussion on starship rules, combat, and general spacey goodness. And uh, Dave, TJ put it pretty succinctly. Why don't, you, why don't you tell us what TJ said? Okay. Yes, he said on the forums, there's no question that Saga is a great system. In mine and many others' opinions, it's the greatest D20 system ever created and published. Hells yeah! Word. That said, I feel like probably my biggest criticism of it is the complexity of the vehicle combat rules. Everyone else in the system, more or less, is so simple and streamlined that a brand new player can pretty much get in get it in a single session. Two at most. Then you hit the vehicle chapter. Rodney, what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> and you get in this labyrinth codex of sidebars and exceptions and things to keep track of, conditionally related to the size of the ships, making my head hurt, who's shooting at what, what dogfights are going on, what actions are taking place on multiple scales, and don't even get me started on linked batteries because I'll explode. Now, to be fair to Rodney and company, I don't think I've, I could have written it in any simpler and kept the amount of cool options that you have. So it's important to have those options in a setting where intense space battles are a staple of most any story. Also, it runs a lot smoother than it looks, if and only if everyone's on the same page. But it takes much longer to get everyone there than it does with the base ground battle system. Mm. Well said. Um, I agree, TJ. Um I think the rules are a little tad convoluted. In reality, they're not. It's just that they're spread out. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people have a really hard time with it. There are different pace, places and they come together. The options that are there need to be there, I agree, to represent a full-fledged starship combat system. I understand what Rodney and company were doing. They were making a very robust starship combat system that is very um, properly done. But, as you put it, it's hard to get on the same page. And so that's what we're going to try and do tonight, Gamer Nation. Uh, we're going to try and get you on the same page. Now, way back in episode 37, guys, gal, if you'll recall, we took the time to detail the list, nice. uh, which was a set of guidelines to help you build amazing personal encounters. So tonight, we're actually going to continue with the ship list. And that's... What? Ship. Ship. S-H-I-P. P is in Paul. P is in Peter. Peter and Patty. P is in party. Okay? All right? Okay. 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 We are going to break the Starship rules apart, and we're going to reassemble them for easy consumption, and then bring our own suggestions to the table in regards to designing awesomely memorable Starship combat. So, let us get started. Um, the first segment, I kind of, I, I don't know, I was watching, uh, Dave, were you, were you watching Empire Strikes Back before we started the show? Yes, I was. Because I know TG and I were, because it was on, um, uh, uh, it, it was on something. Spike TV, I think. Spike or USA or whatever, yeah. Spike, yes. And so I'm watching it, and so I, and I'm I actually I had to retitle one of the sections in the show notes. Go, no, no, that one goes here. That one goes there. Oh yeah, and, that was in yeah. yeah, that was in um, oh that was in five. Yes, right? it was in five right at the beginning. Yeah. Um. So let, let's kind of start with before we get into the ship 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 what? ship okay. list. Let's <laughs> let's begin with a stroll down nostalgia lane. Um. And, and, and talk about some Starship rules. Now, here's what we're not going to talk about right oh. now. 
We're not going to talk about the basics of starship combat. We're not going to talk about the roles aboard a ship. We're not going to talk about the combat options and the actions available in starship combat. Why? 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 Why are we not going to talk about that, Dave? Too much. No. We've already done it. We've already done it. Well, yeah, we've already done it. You know, so. Yeah. Our primer on starship combat occurred way back in episode 14, entitled What the Uh Shat? Shat. Shat, as in Shatner. Not Shat. Shat. So, it was so long ago, in fact, that back when D20 Docking Bay was actually at the end of our program. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, if starship combat is completely new territory, for you, Gamer Nation, I highly recommend listening to episode 14 first and then coming back here to this program where we're going to be expanding on it. It's taken us 67 episodes to get there, but we are finally returning to the big black, clarifying some of the rules that may have caused confusion and giving you a quick guide to follow. And as we'll see, as I said, it's not so much that the rules are convoluted or confusing, it's just that they're all over the place. So instead of reading through the sidebars throughout the Starship chapter of the core rulebook, we're going to encapsulate it for you right here, right now, You'll just have to listen to this little section, and you'll be green. Good? Good. 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 All right. Great. And by the way, big thanks to Rob Shanty and Infinity Doctor for helping me put this consolidation together, um, which was a really big deal. Um, okay. First and foremost, let's talk about using a ship for your party. TG, when we were working with the Impasse, which is, is the, the ship that you kind of own for our flagship game, I remember how frustrated you got when you were looking at the stat block and trying to figure out what bonuses go where and, and how it, you, you, were, you were getting very confused. Yeah, knowing when do I use my own personal bonuses and then why am I supposed to use the ship's bonuses sometimes? It, it does. It gets kind of confusing. It does. Now, we, we worked hard to, to kind of figure that out. So why don't you share with us kind of what you've learned in terms of using a, a base ship for your party? Okay, well, every ship has a crew as part of its stats, right? And that crew has a rating, which you can find on page 174 of the in the crew quality sidebar. Is this of the core rulebook, correct? Yeah, everything, yeah. everything we're talking about is this is all in the core rulebook. Right. The ship you're looking at has a crew quality listed in the crew section of the stat block. Notice a trend here? Everything's named crew. <laughs> For example, the X-Week... X-Wing fighter on page 178 has a skilled crew. So this means that the NPC pilot gains a plus two to attack rolls and a plus six to skill checks. Nice. So, if you, <clears throat> well, so if you strip those numbers out, the PC, I'm sorry, Dave, I'm going to keep going and okay. then you can ask your question. I promise. Right, yeah. <laughs> if you strip those numbers out, the PC piloting, the X-Wing simply adds his own base attack bonus and skill modifiers. Bam. That's it. Great. Bam. Yeah. So what, what was your question? Dave? Never mind. <clears throat> Did why? that answer it? I, no, you didn't answer it. I just remember why I thought it. And then originally when I read the cool, core rulebook, I had the same thought. And then I answered myself again. Crew. Well, enlighten us so that people may have that same thought. Okay. Yeah. When I heard crew, I'm thinking, you know, the people aboard the ship, you know, well, X-Wing's a single pilot vehicle, man. There ain't no crew there helping me out. Well, think NASCAR, boys. It's the crew that gets the ship ready. Well, no, in this case, it's actually talking about the crew of just the pilot. Yeah, okay. So, I, I mean, when, when it, like, for example, in, in, in the crew, like, well, here, dude, if you have your core rubble candy, go, go to page 178. You can see where it has crew listed. In fact, I, I'm going to go to it right now because I don't want to misquote anything. Yeah, page, go to it because I still don't understand it. Okay, okay. So, so page 178 
in the stat block, they actually have a listing of crew. And crew means the people it takes to operate the ship. Oh, now, okay. in the case of a starfighter, it's just one person. One. The pilot. Well, I don't um, like Okay? One plus the astromech droid. And then in, in little, little parentheses behind there, it says skilled, meaning that that's the quality of that crew member. That crew member is, of course, the pilot. But, you know, that's it. So, so yes, the, the pilot is considered part of the crew. And in a starfighter, he's usually the only member of the crew. Right. Make sense? Sort of, but still don't <laughs> care. I mean, he's a pilot. He gets his plus whatever to pilot. Why does the... Anyway, whatever. Well, no, but th- that's, that, that's what it's saying. For the, for the purposes of strictly an, a stat block, an NPC pilot, his quality determines, uh, according to that table, what base attack bonus he gets, what bonus he gets to his pilot checks, and all that jazz. And so if you're... Like TG said, if, if you want to take a ship and use it for your party, you, you see what the, what the little crew quality is of that ship, and you go to the table and you see, oh, plus two to base attack, plus six to skills. Just strip those numbers out of the stat block, and then you've got just a, a base ship that you can then add the player character pilot's base attack bonus and skill Oh, there you go. Out. Okay, so it would have made much more sense to me if you gave me a base ship instead of all this other crap. Well, the idea was behind it, and I get it, is that with the way it is now, I can literally open up the book and have you fight a TIE fighter without having to create a pilot to go with it, without, well, having, to, without having to adjust uh, see, the CL. I, I would argue then, that... Yeah, that's the big thing, I think, is knowing what the CL is. So you yeah, can exactly. determine, especially because, when you're trying to design an encounter, understanding, okay, if my my players are a part of this ship and their base attack bonus and skill modifier are equal to what is currently built in the book, then I know that it's this specific CL. Now, if their base attack bonus or skill modifiers are higher than what's in there, then I maybe need to adjust my CL. And that's all complicated and I know we'll get into that, maybe. It may be, but, but the thing is, for me as a GM... When I grab the book and I can turn to an X-Wing and throw it at you and I know that it's a CL-7, not an X-Wing, a TIE fighter, and I know that it's a CL-7, I don't have to create a pilot to go with it. And I know that that challenge level is based on his quality. He's skilled and that gives him this base attack bonus and this to his skill checks and that's already built into the stat block. I don't have to worry about that. Right, Um, but at that point, that's why it gets confusing because you've got a ship that they've set it out like an NPC Exactly, and, that's and that, that's that's where that's where it gets confusing. And so, well, well the reason we kind of wanted to cover this first is because so much confusion arises out of that. If we cover now the way you can just take a basic ship and strip it for your PCs to use, that will clarify things. Now, let's talk about where those ship numbers come from. Let's get into greater detail. If if that's not good enough for you, and you want to see how this stuff is actually calculated and where it comes from, let's get into that. Um, so, Dave. So skill modifiers for characters aboard a starship. Yep. Um, tell tell us about tell us about that. How do how, right, where, so, where, uh, where do those those skill modifiers come a, from? A character acting as a pilot, all right, as the ship size modifier and dexterity modifier to all the initiative and pilot checks that he makes as a PC, mm-hmm. as a pilot. So size modifiers for ship sizes are located page one sixty six. Basically, the bigger the ship, the harder it is to control. So. <laughs> This is worked into the ship stats, so remember, take the crew quality modifier, take it out, and you're all set. And remember, a trained pilot can make a pilot check instead of an initiative check and only adds the ship's size modifier. That's a big deal. 
So can I can I get an example? Give me an example. Give me a character and give me a ship and then tell me how do I add the different numbers up. Okay. Um, well, let's do this. In your core rulebook, turn to page 166 where those little size modifiers are and we can we can actually see it and we'll we'll look at some we'll look at something basic here. Now, table 10-1 is the vehicle sizes, all right? And we'll we'll take a look straight away at, at like a tie fighter. I like that cuz it's my my example. A tie fighter is huge in size. Now, according to the table, that means it's got a minus 2 size modifier, all right? Okay. In a, in addition, if I go to the tie fighter stats, let me get to that real quick. Uh okay, tie intercept. Go faster. Thanks. <laughs> Wow. Wow. That's great. All right. We see that we see a TIE fighter has a dexterity of 18. So that's a plus four modifier. So basically, on my pilot checks and initiative checks, when piloting a TIE, I'm going to add the TIE's dexterity in to represent its speed. So I add a plus four. But then I'm also going to add a minus two for the TIE fighter size because it's, you know, it's hard to control something that big. So a cumulative plus two will get added to any pilot check and any initiative check I make as a PC behind the stick of a TIE fighter. In addition to my current pilot? Correct. Numbers? Okay. So if I've got a plus 15 Correct. pilot, and the then reason I, I add 17 to whatever I roll when I'm piloting a TIE. Correct. And the, the, reason being, the reason being the formula takes into account two things. The size of the ship, because that's very important. You know, a, a, big, a bigger ship is more unwieldy. And more importantly, if I'm flying a badass ship, that needs to be reflected. If I'm flying a super fast ship with a 22 dexterity, that needs to be reflected, that I can react faster in it, basically, because it's that badass. That makes yeah. sense. I like it. Okay. So along the same lines, now, and, and again, as, as you mentioned, though, Remember, a trained pilot, instead of making an initiative check, can make a pilot check. And they only add, uh, but, but in, when doing so, they only add the ship size modifier for initiative. That may or may not be helpful to you. But if you've got a like, skill-focused pilot, it could be kind of cool. Yeah. But oh. what if, if, if you do initiative, and if you roll initiative instead of pilot, can you add the dex modifier? Yes, you have to. Okay, but if you choose to roll a pilot check instead of the initiative check, then you, you don't. don't get... That is correct. So that, that, that is a mechanic representing if I am a totally awesome pilot, I can actually make the vehicle perform beyond its normal limits. Right. I see. So okay. if you're not an awesome pilot, then don't do that. Roll your initiative check. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Attack rolls. And this is along the same lines. Okay. Attack rolls with a starship weapon. And we kind of covered this back in episode 14, but this bears repeating. Attacks with a starship weapon, you roll a one, one die 20, of course, plus the firing character's base attack bonus plus the starship's intelligence modifier and then of course any any range modifiers you might suffer for for distance penalties um now that's very important because again you how nimble i am and how how great a shot i am dexterous wise that means nothing on starship scale i mean you shouldn't even be able to really see the other starship you're firing at except as a dot way way ahead of you you're relying on the starship's computer to help you target so as a result you add your base attack bonus representing your skill in combat plus the starship's com intelligence modifier to to make attacks basically now, as far as range modifiers, that's also very important, and those can be found on page 129 of the core rulebook. Because range, as we'll soon see, plays a very big part in starship combat. 
Now, also remember, for vessels that are not crewed by heroic characters, as we said, the base attack bonus is set according to that crew quality sidebar. So you strip out the bonus from the crew quality, page 174, add the heroic pilot's base attack bonus, and you're set. You're good to go. See, Kat's asking the question that I was... Huh? Okay. Kat's asking the question that I was exactly about to. When Luke turned off his targeting computer, what if you're a Jedi and you've got like a super awesome... What what do we use for use the force modifier? Wisdom? No. No, charisma. 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 What if you've got a super high charisma modifier? Can you use that instead? Is that a house rule, maybe? Instead oh, no, these? it's more than a house rule, and I'm going to go there right now. Oh! I'm going to go. I'm going to take you uh, on the fly to the Starships of the Galaxy book. In particular, in the Starship Combat section, page uh, 30, uh, Starship Maneuvers, which are those really cool pilot abilities that work kind of like force powers. Target Sense. This maneuver allows a force-sensitive pilot to target opponents without the use of the vehicle's targeting computer. When you activate this maneuver, it allows you to use your charisma bonus on attack rolls made this round. This replaces the vehicle's intelligence bonus on attack rolls made with the vehicle's weapons. Ah, your yes. In addition, you get a, a special bonus uh, based on your use the force check. So I would argue that's what Luke did in that very instance. Beautiful. So there you go. All right, sorry to d- distract. No, no, this is a good question. I like it. Okay, TG, talk to me about defenses, because this is kind of the other piece of the puzzle. We talked about how a starship affects skills. We talked about how it affects attacks. Talk to us about defenses. Okay, well, defense is you're basically when you um, are trying to do your reflex defense, it's 10 plus the ship's modifier. The, the, Dexterity modifier, sorry, plus the starship's size modifier plus the starship's armor bonus. So you can, like we mentioned before, you can find the size modifier um, on page 166 of the core rulebook. So this it's is the same one that you use for your skill checks, yeah. Okay. So what you need to remember is that a heroic character in the pilot position may substitute their heroic level in place of the starship armor bonus, just like you can do on your own person. If you so have, you get your armor bonus. You can either use your armor, right, or well, whichever's higher. Well, you have to have a couple talents to do that in personal combat, uh, but but in starship scale, you don't. It, it's just whichever. Basically, you cool. you'll want to use whatever's higher, either your level exactly. or their or the starship's armor bonus. So again, exactly. it's ten plus the dex plus size modifier plus armor bonus. You got it. Cool. Pretty now, easy. Now, does does crew quality affect defenses? No, it doesn't affect defenses at all. So when working with a base stat block, you don't need to strip anything out. You just add the heroic level of the pilot if it's greater than the armor bonus. Got it. That's that's so, that's, that's makes sense to me. Dave, does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. Now, what about like yeah. fortitude? Well, fortitude is 10 plus the ship's strength modifier. Pretty straightforward. No, that's pretty straightforward. That's it. Now, so da- damage threshold is the ship's fortitude defense plus the ship's size modifier, though. Now, is this the so, same size modifier we were talking about earlier? This is not the same. Okay. As you use for reflex or your skills. And isn't even found in a table. But it is part It is party of the next on page 169. I got at the it. Top of the page. Yeah. Oh, I see. So, it's in the text. I got yeah. it. Yeah. Sorry. Flipping through trying to find it. There it is. Yeah. Page 169. Okay. Top of page 169. Got it. So, so there's a different size modifier that's used for damage threshold. 
Right. Uh, that, that, that's just, cer- that certainly would cause some confusion for some people. If they that didn't know just it doesn't there. make a whole hell of a lot of sense to me. <clears throat> well, the the one we'll keep in mind the size modifier for for uh, pilot checks and um, uh, uh, defense is is actually a negative. In other words, the the larger the ship is, the harder it's going to be to maneuver. Okay, that that makes sense. In this instance, it's the exact opposite. The larger the ship is, the tougher it's going to be. Okay. So you need to have a separate set of size modifiers to represent that. Well, give me a size modifier and say for decks minus the size modifier, and for the damage threshold, it's plus the size modifier. Give me that. That's easier. Well, uh, th- this this does make some sense. That that there there is merit to that. But the size modifiers, like I mean, I'm looking at the page TG pointed out on page 169, and it's like they're vastly different than the size modifiers for for skill checks and attack rolls. Because you know, I mean, like for a like our, our huge Tie Fighter had what a, a minus two for its size modifier to to uh, defenses and and skill checks, but being huge, it gets a plus ten to its damage threshold. Like Gargantuan gets a plus twenty, Colossal a plus fifty, because you know, and and this is actually in line with the bonuses that um, uh, uh, characters get at that at that scale. You know, you get a oh, plus okay. five for being large and okay. and plus ten for being huge and all that. So. That, that makes 200 sense. for Colossal. Ooh. Oh, sorry. Nice. Colossal, yeah, Colossal, Colossal Cru- Cruiser. Yeah. yeah. So, boom. In other words, if the ship's big enough, you're going to have to do a lot of damage to take it down the condition track. A lot. So, okay. Um, Dave, do, do you want to tackle weapons batteries? Weapon batteries, dude. Um, Th- this is you worth, can kind of do it all by itself. About, yeah. I is mean, this, on its is own. This what what fuels the weapons, right? The little batteries, like no, no, like no, energizer no. batteries. <laughs> this is uh, this is the weapon battery. It's on the sidebar of page one seven zero. We've got a lot. We've covered it in docking bays. There's still a lot of confusion out there, so we're going to do it again. Why not? Why not? So, a battery is a single group of up to six identical weapons grouped together on large ships. So, you know, think of they're designed to work in concert. So, to kill things more effectively and efficiently. <laughs> okay? So, weapons <laughs> in a battery can fire individually if they want to. So, think of the USS Arizona with the three big-ass guns on the deck. All right? Yeah. Those three big barrels. Part of the same gun, you can fire all three at the same target. You can raise, lower one barrel and fire it. Whatever. Same concept. So they can fire individually if they wish, or you can organize into one or more groups. Each gun in a battery has its own gunner, and that gunner can choose to use the aid another action to grant to any other gunner in the battery a plus two bonus on their attack roll. And no attack roll is needed. The aid another is automatic. That's the power of the weapon battery. Isn't that great? So so what you're saying is like there's there's six guns, or up to six guns in a weapon battery. They can each take a shot, or they can choose to aid another gunner in their battery and they, they automatically succeed if they do that. So you get a plus 10, basically, if one guy shoots all six weapons. <whistles> Not bad, huh? Any gunner who, who receives aid another from another gunner in the battery also gains an additional benefit. For every three points that he beats the target reflex defense by, he adds one die to his weapon damage. Oh, representing the other guns. Yeah, before oh. multiplier. So... I like it. <laughs> Base starship stat blocks assume that all weapons in a battery are fired as a group with all remaining gunners aiding one primary gunner. Furthermore, now, 
that was confusing to me when I when I initially read that because like okay it the, the numbers didn't add up when I was first reading base stat blocks when you're looking at weapon batteries with you saying that that makes total sense yeah so they because yeah. they, they so add that's up the now. assumption of all the pluses that you're getting yes and then now uh, a battery can aid another for another battery so all weapons <laughs> in the battery are committed to this aid effort though damage is unaffected when a second battery helps. So. so the whole three points over for extra die damage thing doesn't apply if it's a second battery right. aiding a first right. battery. So you've got you know you've got three forward batteries on one side of a ship, and you can you know there you go. Got. It. Okay, that that is that is a little convoluted, but that but it makes sense. It makes sense, and this is a big part of capital ship combat, so it's an important thing to include. Now, what sh- what kind of ships are going to have it? You know, you say capital, yeah. but smaller ships. They're most likely not going to have it. So, right? Large or huge or gargantuan. You know that, that's actually a that's actually a very good question, and I actually am going to, if I can get to it quickly, I want to turn to in Starships to the Galaxy to the Starship modification rules and take a look at gun batteries because off the top of my head, I honestly don't know what this. I, I know there's a size restriction to who can get a gun battery. I'm just trying to remember what. Ah, yes. So. I, I will, ah, well, uh, well, we'll table it and I will come back to it. But that's a good question. Although I, I do believe, I'm pretty sure it's only capital ships that can have it, TG. Yeah, the big cruisers and stuff. Um, I'm okay. Fair, I'm, fairly, I'm, I'm fairly certain. Um, you said it was on page, what What, what, what page was the was the uh, gun battery sidebar on? Page 170? 170 was the sidebar, yeah. Very interesting. Um, so there you sidebar go. doesn't clarify. No. So no. It's most likely in Starships of the Galaxy. I just need to look for it. <laughs> okay. All right, so moving on. That right there. Now, keep in mind, this has been a slightly confusing discussion that we've had. And do, do you guys get it? Do, do these rules make sense? I hope so. If yeah. not, call us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If these rules make sense, that, that in a nutshell kind of reigns in some of the convolution that people have been confused about. You know, what bonuses do I add when? What stats apply where? What tables do I use? Hopefully that will take care of that. So let's take this knowledge and let's use it. Let's, let's lock S-foils into attack position. And um, hopefully, you know, now that our little rant has clarified things and, and brought together some of the spread out rules for you, let's get into the good stuff. Let's look at drawing this together in a set of solid guidelines for starship encounters. The ship list. That's what? Ship. What? Ship <laughs> list. A P. P and Paul. Peter, Paul. Perry. Yeah, this, this Great. Is, okay. This is not as comprehensive a list as the list, um, but it is an important list. Uh, there are four basic rules in this list that will, should give you a mini checklist to creating great ship encounters. Pumpkin. Yay! He is in pumpkin. Um, I, I, will, I will go ahead and take the first one, um, which, which I, I call a job for everyone, and I'm taking it ah. because I kind of want to rant about it. Well, that one, that one, we talked about this in 14, but it deserves to be going again. It very much deserves to be going again. Uh, this is the, the number one rule in the list, a job for everyone. It's the number one rule for a very, 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 very good reason. In prior systems, OCR, I'm looking at you in the face and I'm sneering. In prior systems, starship combat became a, a deadly and often boring affair for the vast majority of the party, especially when they were piloting a cargo ship where you only have one pilot and maybe one gun, okay? Saga Edition has moved light years 
no, no pun intended, uh, ahead of, of prior editions by creating roles within the ship, getting players a role no matter what during Starship Combat, and we discussed this back in episode 14. But we need to do better than that as GMs. You know what? Having a role, that's great, unless you're never given the opportunity to use that role. The ship's engineer will just kind of be science sitting on his thumbs unless you manage to hit the ship for shield damage straight away, giving him something to do, regulate those shields. The commander can be pretty freaking boring unless you've got a supplemental challenge going on, perhaps a, a battle of words or wits with an opposing commander. Maybe, maybe a slicer on board an enemy ship is attempting to crack into the ship's computer remotely. Perhaps um, constant navigation is needed to avoid getting crushed by roving asteroids during the combat. The possibilities are endless. Now, if every player is in a snub fighter, this isn't really much of an issue. But it needs to be at the forefront of the GM's mind at any other time. And the first thing the GM thinks about when designing a Starship encounter, what will each player at my table be doing? And if you can't concretely answer that question for nearly every round of combat, you need to rethink your scenario. And that's that. So with that first rule out of the way, let, let us continue. TG, why don't you hit us up with the, the second rule on our, our ship list? The what list? The ship list. Okay. <laughs> this would be the rule of 12. It is so important, boys Piranha. and girls, to understand starship scale. Don't put your ships 30 squares apart on the battle map. <laughs> Playtime. <laughs> It'll be six rounds before anyone gets close enough to even fire accurately. People sometimes forget the fact that starship battle takes place on a relatively small scale on a battle map. But when the fastest starfighters in the galaxy have a speed of six squares and most ships are stuck at two to four squares with point-blank ranges for the most common of starship weapons being only one or two squares, this realization usually sinks in in about round four of a starship encounter when your players are bored. Hella bored. Oh, my God. Yeah. So 12 squares seems to be the optimal distance to separate ships in combat just outside of medium and long-range weapons but where it's easy to close the gap with an all-out movement. So you can, like, get Yeehaw. to it one round? Oh, yeah. That would be the Picard maneuver. Uh, yes. <laughs> Picard. Oh, Picard. <laughs> Jean-Luc Picard. Okay. The U.S. Enterprise. Of course. <laughs> All right. So What's the, the next rule? The rule of 12. Dave, hit us up with the next rule. Uh, Non-enemy objectos. All right? It's, this is really big in space. All right, dude? It's It's like... To quote Billy Bob Thornton, <clears throat> it's a big-ass sky. Tis. So most starships uh, combat occurs on what amounts to a blank map. So there's something very important right now. So listen up if Hutton's about to speak. Realistically, this is how space is. So for the fun of your players and yourself, put some crap out there. <laughs> Some crap or some what? Uh, junk, yep. whatever. Who cares? You know, you're you're fl you're floating through uh, an abandoned, you know, uh, a tomb for wrecked ships, for example. Whatever. So this one cover. Objects in space can add a whole new dimension to combat because it can grant cover. So, like I said, whether it's a derelict spacecraft, okay, that's 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 just ruined and floating in in, in space. Uh, a small group of like satellites or just space junk, even asteroids. You know, this 
makes a uh, not only does it really make a tactical movement more interesting, but you know it can provide some uh, interactional points in the combat, much uh, you know such as a, a fuel tank on a derelict ship that explodes when it's hit, or an icy comet that could erupt into a cloud of concealment. So speaking of concealment, keep in mind objects do not have to be solid. <laughs> Wisps of a nebula, clouds of re- refuse dumped in orbit. The constellation Urine, the tail of a comet, things of you know that block visibility basically, but they don't block movement. So there you go. I I, I agree. This this is this is very important. I, I don't think it's it's used enough. Now, guys, when I've run some starship encounters with you guys, and frankly, I've not run as much as I would have liked to. Have, I know we're getting more to it now that you guys have a great ship in our flagship game. I've tried to do this in our games, and you, you, you've, seen, you've seen the power this can have in terms of tactical movement. Um, in your experiences with it, do you guys have any recommendations? I mean, playing firsthand with, with cover and concealment in space, because not a lot of people do it. Having, I think the last point that Dave made there is having that um, piece of object that isn't solid, that... Blocks visibility, but not movement. Uh, what's really creative, like I remember one in particular um, battle where you had us above a planet and there was an old, old uh, ship that was leaking some kind of fluid or fuel. something. Yeah, so it was leaking fuel. And so we lured, we literally flew through it knowing that the enemy was going to follow us. And as soon as they followed us, I think it was actually Dave, who had the ready action? Had the ready action to throw a big old nasty uh, shot at the fuel and explode it, and it literally just took the guy out, just like that. That was it was fantastic, cool. and it was very fun. It was very cinematic, um, and gave us a way to be creative. You kind of led us down that creative creativity path. It was fun. That's fun. <laughs> very nice. Well, the fourth area of the list, the last, we had, we've had a job for everyone, the rule of 12, non-enemy objects, and lastly, attack formations. Um, the bottom line, younglings, is that unless you've got some boss weaponry or you are at very close range, it is damn hard to hit anything in Starship Combat. Okay, um, Play your NPCs intelligently as a GM. It's okay. All right, Two things the aid and other action. Take advantage of it frequently. All right? And secondly, and more importantly, concentrate fire. If you have a squadron of enemy snub fighters going after a, a group of your heroes, they shouldn't be going one-to-one. That's not the way it works in real life. It's not the way it should work now. When faced with multiple PCs, have your foes gang up. I know this sounds mean, but it is sound combat tactics. Pairs of fighters taking on a single foe is very common, especially in a dogfight. And it also adds another special element to your combat scenes, which is something I really want to impart with the ship list, which is what I call the sense of aid and urgency. And the way I think of this in my mind is, you know, you know, you know, ah, Luke, I've got one on my tail. I can't shake it. Hang on, Dak. I'll be right there. Saving your squad mates from destruction has always been a very key part of starship combat in Star Wars. And the concentrating fire with your NPCs ganging up on a PC helps you achieve that. 
Now, again, if you're in a situation where you've got a party in a single ship, this is not going to matter too terribly much. But again, you're going to want to use to take advantage of the aid another action, um, more so than just one-on-one individual combat. But again, strive to create that, that sense of urgency, and it'll also help bring your team together, I found, which is very cool. Yeah. So there that's the ship list, boys and girls. Four simple things you can do to help plan excellent starship encounters. A job for everyone, the rule of 12, non-enemy objects, and attack formations. Now, the key thing here, TG, Dave, and I think you probably noticed we've come back to you, is it's all about the planning. But not so much the planning of where things are, but the actions that are going to be happening. Right. When you're planning a personal encounter, a, a one-on-one encounter, okay, okay, there's doors here, and these guys are going to come out, and they're going to stand here, and the cover's going to be here, and, th- and this is going to be, and there's elevation here, and that's that's where it's going to be. This requires a different type of planning. It's not focused so much on that as it is on what types of actions are going to be going on. Because again, that number one rule: what is every single one of my players going to be doing? And you know, whether you're able to maintain that throughout the entire counter or not, you know, what maybe they may, maybe they defeat that one challenge in a single round instead of three. The point is to have it there. And if you follow the list and you keep that in mind, you will end Starship Combat in a fun way with each one of your players having had fun and feeling like they were useful in the encounter, which will make them want to do it again. And it'll be a good thing. Yeah. So, so. Finally, with all y'all's dirty mouths, this sh- this cast, it's getting <laughs> sick of hearing it, hearing y'all cuss all the time. I, I, I didn't cuss. I'm filthy. What can I say? No, you didn't cuss either. <sighs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I don't remember See? it. Boom! Thank you, guys. Thank you, Gamer Nation. I hope this little talk has helped clarify some confusing rules for you. And again, I really want to thank Infinity Doc and Rob Shanty for helping us compile this and come together. These guys worked hard on the forums to to do this. And um, if you guys have any questions, again, as Dave said, please email us gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com, tweet goodness at d20radio.com. If you think we're full of it and you want to tell us off, we want to hear it, please. You're full it- of ship. I don't. I don't want to hear it, y'all. Uh, 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 no. I think we just have a show title. You're full of ship. That's cat. <laughs> That's cat in Echo Base right there with the Boom. greatness. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, well, I want to thank uh, my co-host, uh, GM Dave, and Tweet That Goodness. And uh, I want to thank all those in Echo Base. How many people were in Echo Base this time around, Dave? 90. 90 people watching us do this. Craziness. Craziness. That's something. That's something else. Well, thank you all again. And uh, this is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And keep them dice rolling. May they be full of the force. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast.
show time. This is exciting stuff. Yeah. I can hear the excitement in your voice. Thank you very much. All right. So first things first. A care package went out. Those of you that are D20 radio contributors, a large care package went out to those of you with modules, maps, lots of assorted goodies. And those of you that are contributors, it went out, um, an email telling you where to find it went out via the forum. So if you guys have yourself blocked for receiving forum email messages, uh, email me and I will send you the package again. So you sent this to our contributors. Tell me, what is a D20 radio contributor and for, for, for Pete's sake, golly gee, how might I become a D20 radio contributor? Ah, the D20 radio contributors are those people that choose to increase their, what would you say? Um, support. Support and influence on the network. And they do that by basically signing up on PayPal and sending $2 a month for their favorite show. It doesn't have to be Order 66. It can be any of them. On the D20 radio network. And as such, one of the perks is that we get user-created content. And I think I had 12 items that we haven't put up on the website yet. A couple of adventures. There was one map of a ship on there. There was, there was, there were several. Um, and so, yeah, that's one of the perks. And, and this stuff will go on the website eventually. It's yeah, just that it our will. It's just our contributors get first get- look, yeah. And first look, first crack. First right. Look. And then to say thanks, kind of in a way, we give them a special color so that their name stands out in red, bold red, on the forums, and they get to be a ready. Ready. Red. Ready. That's right. So there you go. So your care package went out, guys, and um, just, you know. Yes, the first package is away. <laughs> That's right. So, okay. So, next. The other dude, little piece of news. Dude, yeah. I, I just... Okay. Before the show started, um, I, I went to YouTube and I watched the trailer for Solomon Kane. Have you heard of this? Um, well, I saw it many, many years ago. I mean, it's, it's really an old movie. It kind of defined the new era of movies. Didn't it? Uh, no. Citizen, or, Citizen. Are we sure we're thinking about the same thing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, is this a remake of Citizen of the old Citizen Kane? No. Okay. Far from it, sir. S- Solomon Kane. Oh, Solomon. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, I misheard you. So- Solomon Kane. This is a this is a gritty, fantastical um, sort of medieval Renaissance set uh, dude who battles the minions of hell with his sword and of truth and justice, tortured past. Kind of. Anyway, it was an awesome graphic novel. They're turning into an awesome film, and. Um, the trailer looks absolutely outstanding, and James Purefoy, who I think is a great actor, um, is playing the lead. And hopefully, this will this will push him into some some more leading role status because it looks like it's going to be a phenomenal movie. So great, very cool. That's but awesome. yeah, Solomon Kane was was a guy who was created by Robert Howard, who was the guessing guy who created Conan. Oh, and uh, he was the first guy to write the books about it. And then I forget who did the graphic novel later on, but the graphic novel like. The movie supposedly is like straight from the, you know, they just use the graphic novel for storyboards, basically. It's like, okay. Oh, okay. But there have been several Solomon Kane books that Robert Howard wrote. Is that so? Yes. All right. Cool. Awesome. 
if I remember correctly, yes. Yeah. All right. So something else I screwed up. Okay. Remember back when we started doing this whole D twenty radio live bit yes. that we you know we we six months ago we were going to try and do this and then you know just the uh, the sheer magnitude of how much it costs to do it kind of set it back and we started a thread for people who wanted to be and who had the ability to take the stream for a day or two or five or whatever. Well, okay, so I had I thought I had all those people, but the thread that had it got paired <laughs> or pruned. Got archived? Yeah. Oh. So basically, here's a call for anybody who wants to be part of your D20 Radio DJ community. Your names will be green on the forums if you are yes. going to be a DJ. Um, so you'll be able to see, you know, that, hey, I'm a D20 radio DJ or whatever, whatever you want to be. And so the deal is we're going to, we'll put together the, the, the list of shows and who wants to do what. I know, I know there's a few guys out there that want to do specific types of shows. So we'll make sure we don't have too much overlap. We'll, you know, and all that good stuff. So Fiddleback and myself will begin talking to DJs and as we go through the the last of the month we really didn't want to we we weren't planning on having anything firmly in place until uh, October and we were just kind of fiddling with it and testing with it this month and and uh, some people are listening some people you know it's up and down and up and down so no big deal so um, yeah yeah magnitude 77 if you're a contributor and a DJ the red and green mix together and you get a, uh, a you know kind of a crap brown <laughs> Nice, yeah. nice. Now, if I'm correct, so if somebody wants to do this, all they really need to have is is Winamp, to yeah. and and they can just you know, which is a free download, and they can just pretty much play whatever they want. They need Winamp, and they need a Shoutcast plugin. Oh, which is free. Which is free. It's free downloads both. The new version of Winamp, which uh, I oh gosh, I don't remember what version code. It's like three point five point six or something like that. Is 5.552 is the correct version that gives you the ability to actually use your sound card and microphone instead of just the Winamp player, so you can actually push to talk. And wow. set, when you push it in Winamp, you push, the, you push it and it fades the music by X number of dBs, whatever you decide to put. I usually recommend about 12 to 18, so that you get a good fade and then you can talk over the, over the music. And it's... You know, it's just really neat that you don't have to have, you know, some DJ, you know, virtual DJ is one big software package that's out there. Sam Broadcaster is another big one that's out there. The technology exists where you can do it for free. And if you want to do it and you've got a good music collection, you want to take an hour or two on a specific night, but you have to be pretty regular about it. Otherwise, we'll fire you as a DJ. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. That is totally awesome. So. Very cool. Very, very cool. Nice. TG, you're awfully quiet there in the background. I'm just taking in all the awesome sauce that's about. Hey, you know, it's really, really cool. You know, we've got some new podcasts that I think might come up. Um, Yes. I mean, should we we spill the beans about the, or should we wait? Wait. Yeah, wait. Yeah, we'll wait. We'll wait. We'll spill we beans at a later date. Yeah, because we don't have a bird in the hand just yet. Not just yet, but there's some you great... You got to soak the beans for about an hour, then you got to boil them a little bit, and you got to let them sit overnight. 
That's the proper way to make beans. Very yes. <laughs> very nice. Okay. Fair, fair, fair enough. Okay. Don't spill them. But safe to say, Gamer Nation, there is some awesome casts in the works for yeah. D20 Radio. Yep. Yep. They really are. It, it's going to be awesome. So aside from that, I am having a severe case of soccer uh, withdrawal. Well, it's been raining like nonstop for the past two weeks. I know, dude. I, I thought for sure that I was going to get to at least referee today because we had a couple of facilities that were open. Yeah. And I didn't. So, But I did get to go curling today, which was kind of cool. Nice. Wow. Yeah. When's the last time you did that? A couple of years. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Did you go by yourself or did your family go with you? No, I went by myself. Uh, Cindy is actually off at the Cowboy game. Oh, okay. She uh, she uh, went. Um, she took off earlier today, and they're having a grand old time. Um, her, nice. Her and this uh, her and this dude named Joel, who we've known for a long time, are uh, taking in the first Cowboy game. Very nice. Yeah. She left you to do the show. I know. So you know, I get to do the show. She gets to go to the Cowboy game, and so there. Everyone's happy. Yep. Now, she's working the Cowboy game, keep in mind. It's a fundraiser for the soccer club, right? Yeah. So it's not like it's okay, all fun so and games. You know that there's a um, there's Star Wars in concert? Yes. I mean, it's yes. going to be uh, yeah. the new Cowboy Stadium. Yeah, I know. I know October 23rd or something. Lot, you, sorry. <laughs> I know there's not a whole lot of like, Cowboy fans or football fans or people from Texas that listen, but... They just built this ginormous, stupidly expensive stadium. But and they're gonna have the concert, the Star Wars in concert. Oh, that's gonna be cool. They're broadcasting the films on this, basically in the center of the stadium. How much did the, how much did the screen cost? The giant LED screen. I um four four million. Four, I think. four million, something like that. I don't remember, yeah. but is the largest high definition screen in the world. Yes, yep. pretty pretty much, and um. It's it, okay, and my favorite piece of trivia is that U two is coming to uh, Cowboy Stadium to do a concert. I think what what next month, and um, I was just reading about this. So they 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 spent like four million, fourteen million. I think it's like fourteen million dollars on this screen, right? Well, it's it's not movable. It, it's there, kind of hanging suspended from the stadium. And U two basically said, "Yeah, um, we don't want that there, and you need to move it because it's going to get in the way of our stuff." <laughs> and what was the Cowboy Stadium's response? Okay, we can move it. It's for $2 million. Okay, we'll spend $2 million to put in the mechanics to have it moved. Yeah. And uh, they, they did. Yeah. Can you imagine if that thing ever fell? Like, if you were the technician in charge of moving it, and you, you screwed up, and it fell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, that's a $14 million <laughs> mistake, plus whatever people die under it. Uh, yeah, it's always the same thing. It's like every time if if a if a fighter pilot loses control and he has to ditch his jet, you know, same thing. Wow, that's a twenty million dollar mistake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this mm-hmm. damn thing is so big that punters hit it, hit hit the hit it with the ball. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think they did that on purpose. Yeah, I think I mean, some of it's, them. Yeah, it's like five. I don't know. What did he say? Fifty feet or something like that above what? regulation the NFL told him he needed to have it at. He yeah. put it a little bit higher just to be on the safe side and they still hit it. 
Yeah. Oh, and oh, Bruce City Gamers. Mr. Ruffles is an, is an Echo Base. Yeah, Ruffles. Um, honestly, man, uh, Jerry paid for. Yeah, all of it. No, the city of Arlington. Well, Not- no, he's talking about the screen. Oh, the screen. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, nice. All right. So we got some cool. guy who broke a submarine in the chat room. <laughs> Durian Kildrona it's a, a friend of mine broke a two million dollar impeller on a sub. That's pretty funny. Wow. Dude, that's awesome. So yeah, so the rain, the rain, the rain, the rain. So now, of course, you know, we've got a soccer game tomorrow. And we were supposed to have one yesterday, but it got rained out, which was actually a kind of a good deal for us because our goalkeeper, um, Courtney, who's of course been on the show before and I who I love, is out of town because her grandpa passed away. Aww. And so we're, we're very sorry. We're very sad for Courtney, but um, they were going to miss the game on Saturday and we only have one goalkeeper. So, you know, a team without a goalkeeper, it's kind of hard to put a field player in goal. And, just a tad. Yeah. And so it's just one of those, eh, it's one of those deals that it just worked out. You know, pretty well. So our game is Monday, and we got weather coming in Monday too, though, right? So, dude, supposedly, yeah. So I don't know if we'll get the game in or not. But have uh, you had issues with ants? I know this is totally random. With yes, all the rain, yes, ants. Oh my everywhere. god, ants everywhere! I can't go in the backyard without my shoes on anymore. Yeah. I, it, well, uh, no, in my house, on my kitchen not, counter, if not we so keep much it in the house. It's, spotless. It's, it's, it's creepy, dude. I mean, TG is a bit of a neat freak. Yeah, and it's like. It's 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 just creepy. I mean, she comes home and sees like, uh, like three or four ants on the kitchen counter. And <laughs> it flips out. I, I had to run a Walmart like last week, like in the middle of the night, and get like insecticide. And I'm like, what? It's three ants. It's the rain. They're gonna come in. It's she's it no, <laughs> not in my house. <laughs> I do not want ants. I went. I went to the store. When as soon as I saw them, I went to the store and got glass containers to put all of my sugar and flour and I should have done this years ago but I didn't until now and, and cereal everything I could think of that yeah. ants could get into right. are now in a glass container yeah that's in my good. Cupboard. just in case and so uh, now I've got this crap all over the yard I'm afraid to take the dog outside because he might eat some of it and well, it's, <laughs> it's usually okay for I mean it, it's supposed to be okay for for non-toxic for pets that's not what the container says. You know. <laughs> wow, the container says something like stuff. poison, avoid contact. You must have gotten like the really good stuff. Wow. Yeah, you got the good stuff. Dude, it's man. not working yet. I'm a little pissed. Well, no, it doesn't just, you know. Ugh. Dude. Man. Yeah. That's something. Yeah, no, I, we got ants all over the all over the outside, the patio and stuff. I haven't seen too much on the inside. We you know, then again, we have this um what do we have? This Terminix people that come out every month and spray the outside of our house and do all this other stuff. Yeah. So we don't really have a big bug problem. The only thing we got this big field by the house, so every once in a while a mouse gets into this hole that I haven't. Ooh. That I haven't fixed. And so I, I, I don't think I could deal with that. That's yeah. Uh, it's Crit- ma- critters. I, I, okay, I, I, so I, funny story about a mouse. Yeah. You want to hear? <laughs> okay, last weekend. We went to Chris's parents' place, and with all the rain, they ha- they live out in the country. So, of course, they had a mouse come in to their garage. Well, his dad works out in the garage, and he kept hearing this little mouse snickering around. So he went and got a trap, but his dad, bless his heart, he's such a softie. He loves animals, so he couldn't get a regular trap. So, he, so instead, he got one that's supposed to just 
it, it catches them live, but it's supposed to just squeeze them, not like squish them, you know, where guts go everywhere, but just yeah, squeeze it, them, it does, it suffocates it them. It doesn't break their back, it suffocates them. It just suffocates them, okay? So he thinks this is more humane, right? So he, he gets these traps, and he sets it out and puts peanut butter on them, and he comes in Saturday, like at 12, and looks at Chris and says, hey, I need you to do something for me. Chris says, what? I caught that mouse, but it's not dead. Like, what, you <laughs> and, want me to kill it? I'm like, and Chris, Chris's mom and I are just sitting at the table shaking our heads because the two of them are arguing about how to kill this mouse or what to do with it. We're like, just go set it free, you know, out in the, uh, the forest. No, it'll come back. Well, then dunk it in water or squeeze it or go spray hairspray on it outside or or Chris's mom the best that she came up with was put them in a plastic bag turn on the car and then hold the plastic bag over the muffler of the oh car. my gosh <laughs> wow. and that's sadistic I'm like, that's, wow that's humane so. but the, the two of them together two men could not kill a freaking mouse until finally Chris's mom and I went and said okay we're getting a bucket we're filling it with water and we're sticking the trap in the water that's what we're gonna do uh, so they finally did it. But it was kind of amusing. <laughs> wow. Two men couldn't kill this mouse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously. That's what that's what a good boot heel's for, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Golly. I'm a puss. What can I say? Oh, man. All right. Well, that's all right, I guess. That's a funny story, though. I like it. <laughs> Thanks. All right. So we're ready to put a wrap on this one, I guess, boys and girls. Yeah. I think so. So. I think so. Good show, guys. Gamer Nation, thank you very much for tuning in. Yes, thank you guys. indeed. So, you guys, before we go, we're gonna we're gonna start going out with like new music. I think I'm gonna try this and see if the Gamer Nation likes it. So, one of the newest songs that I've heard on L Radio, and I love it. Owl City by the Fire. I'm sorry, Fireflies by Owl, by Owl City. We'll take it out. So, if you guys want to know what the song is, that's what it is. You guys go download it on iTunes, and. So with that, we'll see y'all next week. You guys stay hard. Keep jamming. We'll see ya.
Because my dreams are bursting at the seams